Hello, and welcome back to a very special episode of Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable co-host, Tim, and joining me as always is... Catherine. And this week, we are here to talk about some of our favorite things. It's holiday time, at least uh, throughout many parts of the world. It's holiday time. It's, it's Christmas time here in the United States, and also in the beautiful Sweden, where uh, my sister resides. And so we decided to do... Uh, instead of a, an examination of a new failure piece, a roundup of some of our favorite things of the year. And this episode, we're focusing on TV. Uh, we are truly, as Wong says in She-Hulk, in a time of peak TV. There is more TV coming out now than perhaps ever, ever, ever before. And we are getting a lot of really good TV at the same time. So uh, we want to talk about some of our favorites from this year. Uh, it's a pretty varied list, but I think we'll have some pretty solid recommendations. If somehow you missed some of these shows or you feel like uh, you want a new show to check out over whatever sort of limited break you might get around these holiday times, maybe we'll have something for you. Uh, all right. So I think we're going to jump right in. We'll try to note if, if there's a particular streaming service this show appears on uh, where you can find it currently as well. Uh, all right, so Kate, did you want to start off with a, a television show that you enjoyed this year? Um, I want to talk about Cuphead Show. I know you haven't Ooh, seen it. I have not seen this. It is on the um, list. My son has been asking to watch it pretty pretty frequently, so I think it's it's coming up. Well, I have to say first, I I have never played the game and I will never play the game. And the the reason for that is the game is hard. The game is exceedingly hard. I and I I don't like confirm. hard video games. Mm -hmm. Um I have watched many a playthrough video of Cuphead and it's beautiful. It's lovely. Like hats off. The style is so good. Everything about it looks great except for the fact that I I am a little tender baby. And I'm bad at video games. Right. I'm bad sure. yeah. at the video games that I am paid to work on, like to <laughs> to work with every day I at my job. I think that's true of a lot of game developers. Um, I think that's normal. It's it's just I'm so bad at them. Like it's comical how terrible I am at video games, and and I'm I'm fine with it. I still love them, but Cuphead just looked like I it would end in tears for me. It is it is an exceedingly difficult video game. Um, it's very doable. It's it, much like sort of classic 2D side scrollers. It's about pattern recognition and sort of muscle memory and sort of getting all these things down. But you're not uh, my they, strong suits. <laughs> I mean, me either, really. I, I was never a big like 2D. I, I didn't play Gradius. You know, I didn't care. R-Type. I didn't care about those games. Um, and it's very much like one of those, but with this beautifully ornate you know, hand-drawn, lovingly illustrated Disney. 1930s aesthetic. Yeah, it's it's pretty exceptional. Um, the show, however, is fantastic. Um, I I like animation, but I kind of fell out of watching any of it just because it seemed like the only things available in animation were in in two groups. It was either like super wholesome family friendly disney type animation where it's like clearly meant for children or meant for families and there's just not much for me to absorb in it mm -hmm. or adult animation which is always a struggle for me um 
because I don't like most of it. <laughs> like I've seen some that I, <laughs> that I have enjoyed, uh, sure. but um, a lot of it is just, it's either like too, it's too much. Like it's too grown up. It's trying to, to go way, way over the top with the, the grown up themes and jokes, or it still doesn't quite break that threshold of not feeling like it's for kids. Cuphead, however, has like that perfect balance of feeling like a kid could watch this and, and enjoy sure. it, but I can also watch this and enjoy it. And it's, it's, it really is for everyone. <laughs> like um, the humor, like the first season is a little bit rocky in places. Like they, it takes a bit to establish its, characters i guess but it is adorable um and if you don't love the devil on the show i don't know what's wrong with you because it's it's <laughs> we'll the, just we'll end it there best. if you don't love the devil it, you know you're not gonna know i love him uh, i yes. just love him yeah yeah the devil is, is i guess you know if you aren't familiar with the games the devil is the main antagonist of the cuphead series but he's not really that big of an antagonist he's you know, it's it's an interesting play on on sort of that 1930s, very simplified visuals kind of idea that, you know, you throw the devil out there and, and you just make him look sinister and he becomes sinister. But uh, the game does play with that a little bit, too, uh, which is cool. I mean, it's, in, in the show, he's like a gay vaudeville performer. And a total like drama queen. And I just love him. <laughs> that does sound cool. Um. Cuphead and Mugman are really charming. Like they, it does that whole problem child troublemaker thing, but they don't really ever cross over into being annoying because the show always manages to pull back and go back to them being cute again before you sort of hate them. Mm -hmm. um, and the animation is gorgeous. It's just really beautiful. Yes. I mean, if they were able to replicate what the games were doing, and I, I, I mean, given that the games were replicating traditional animation, I, I it seems like they would be able to. It has um, to update imagine, it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, um, sure. You know, you can tell that it was done with a computer. It's not, it's not hand drawn or anything, mm -hmm. but they still, I mean, you know, like some of my favorite animations of all time are the, the twenties and thirties specifically like Mickey, Donald, Disney animations, the short ones. Um, there are times where they they pull from those specifically. Like there are even specific oh, shorts sure. where I'm like, oh, I know where you got this idea, and it's so good. Um, That's awesome. Like there though. was there was yeah. one where they they had to deliver a package that had explosives in it, just like Donald Duck and Donald's Lucky Day. And I'm like, oh, this mm, is great. That's a good one. Um, that's good. No, it's it's really great and. It's one of those things you could watch it with your kids. Or if you don't have kids, you could just enjoy it like me. <laughs> well, I think you point out a really interesting thing is that animation, while I, again, I think we're getting more animation and there's more variety in the animation that's being produced now than probably than ever before, those segments for animation are getting harder where it's like, this is for adults, this is for kids. And, and very rarely do they cross. Um, my daughter is, is really into anime and she really wants to watch uh, spy family with me or spy X family, whatever <laughs> I think it's supposed to be spy 
Times family or whatever. I, I don't know how it's stylized because I'm an American and I'm stupid. <laughs> but the but that's what she has also said about that show is that it has a lot of like really strong, interesting, you know, fairly straightforward sort of animation family dynamics. But then it also has this like spy component that is also really fun. And so it feels like that one, too, is trying to sort of hit that double market kind of thing. Um, and it's challenging, right? And, and unfortunately, even, you know, one of the champions in American animation that seems so consistent about finding that balance between adult and kids has sort of lost the plot a little bit. And that, of course, is Pixar. Uh, one film I, I planned to talk about a bit was was not as a favorite, although I did enjoy it, was Lightyear, which I think, um, you know, we can just briefly dispense with that one here. You know, it got caught up in all of the woke, stuff and it's not i mean it's a two second shot of two people kissing like it's they don't even kiss i think it's like a gesture i, I don't I was, think people don't like gay. gays it's two, it's oh, two no. women yes two women oh, no, pretending to love each other so um my god it's it, it's oh, a no. blink and you'll miss it moment i mean like it just doesn't matter to the rest of the film at all so it got caught up in all of that but even then it's it's a film that you know like it's it's too adult. It goes too too much on the adult side, and it loses a lot of the fun. Whereas, like my kids are like, well, that was really good, but I really liked that robot cat that was in it. That was like the obvious point of humor. And so, you know, it really feels like even Pixar struggling to tell stories that are sort of doing that. Whereas that seemed to be their bread and butter for so long. Well, and so, they I mean, kind it's, of it's, painted it's themselves balance. into a corner by making things like the Cars movies and then also having these super serious movies like Up. How right. does that yeah, fit up, up next definitely fits to into the category. Cars? Like it, it opens with a tragic, bittersweet, sad story. Like you're you're crying before the movie even gets started. I don't know. But, I mean, Lightning McQueen loses that first race. Oh, I mean, like, never, lest we forget, um, when he meets Mater, he's really down on his luck. No, I, I get I what you're saying, and and uh, you know maybe that's the Disney influence because Disney has these very specific markers that they're looking for and things that they want, and you know those are all concerns, I suppose. But yeah, it, it's a difficult balance to strike. So if Cuphead is striking that balance, then that's definitely something I want to watch. I um, have devoured. I've heard similar things about The Dragon Prince. That's another one that's out there, and I haven't really watched that at all. I think my daughter did, but I haven't watched it. But she she had similar feelings on that one. I, I encourage you to sit the kids down and watch Cuphead. And nice. even even the wife would enjoy Cuphead. It's it's great. Cool. All right. Especially the gay devil. I challenge anyone to say they don't <laughs> like him. Who doesn't love a good gay devil? I just he's so great. Um yeah, they and they really expanded that character in uh, the next two seasons because I think they're on the third one now. They finished the third one, awesome. and yeah, we've we've absolutely devoured those. Is so it yeah, like that's 10 my first a season. One. Yeah, it's ten. I think this last one was eleven. Yeah. Oh, cool! All right, very cool. Um, well, since we're on talking about Netflix, which is where Cuphead can be found uh, in most places, I think it's a Netflix. Produced. It's a Netflix original. Yeah, yeah, so so it should be on Netflix in, in most like markets. As original as an adapted thing can get, I guess. So, right, exactly. Somebody's paying money to somebody <laughs> more in the chain. Uh, one that I'll mention only briefly um, because it's canceled, so it doesn't matter, uh, is uh, Midnight Club by Mike Flanagan. And yeah. I think it was Leah Fong. Uh, I enjoyed that series. It 
struggled in its middle episodes to propel itself forward. So I, I understand why people might've fallen off of it. Um, but apart from questionable music choices, given its time period, anachronisms again, (laughs) you know, doesn't matter. The TikTok generation certainly doesn't give a shit if a song came out in 1994, 1998. I do because I was alive, but you know, whatever. Um, but I feel like it was a wonderful distillation of those Christopher Pike stories. It's it's a good teen drama, which is very difficult to say in most circumstances. And and I think it handled a lot of very heady themes very well, um, which is also rare for teen drama. Teenagers um, need better television. Like, I think we should yeah. start doing right by young people and not just expecting them to either watch what adults are watching or watch trash, you know, watch, watch exactly. good stuff. You yeah, deserve just, good just watch garbage. You know, I, I had a couple of, you know, I, I still teach college age students uh, from time to time. And, you know, I had a student not too long ago that was like, I've watched Grey's Anatomy all the way through three times. And I'm like, really? Why? That's like 400 hours. Oh man. Like, You're never going to get that time that? back. No. And, and there's so much better options. I'm not saying that Grey's Anatomy is bad, but for a teenager to be so desperate for something that they can find that's relevant, that they watch Grey's Anatomy three times through, get out of here. Um, a market is not being served, right? Somewhere a marketing guy should be going like, huh, could we do something about that? Um, but whatever. Anyway, uh, so I, we don't need to talk about it much. I will say that Flanagan did write by the people who did love it, and he just put out a blog post on his website that's like, here's what the rest of the show is going to be. Here's what we had planned. So, so you can still get your closure for, for the show, even though it's, it's not going to be coming back. Um, and he's off to bigger and better things. He's now adapting the dark tower for a TV show for Amazon, which praise the Lord in heaven. Cause finally somebody that gets Stephen King might be able to do something with that story. I am so, so weird. Excited. It's, it may be the most exciting announcement that was made in the last in quite some time. That's all yeah. I'll say, in quite some time, uh, in terms of, of, film and television. But so uh, midnight club, since we're, we're talking about Netflix, uh, it's very solid, highly enjoyable for what it is. Um, and, and he does the first episode is wonderful because he makes a jump scare joke that while also making fun of how jump scares are overused, he created something that has the most jump scares per capita of anything that's that ever was been really produced. good. Which is Super. just clever as hell. Super funny. Uh, very, very well done. Uh, all right. So uh, in terms of other things on Netflix that ended up being our favorite things, we already talked about Cabinet of Curiosities. So you can refer to our episode about <laughs> A whole that. damn episode. <laughs> we gave a whole couple of hours to that thing, but it certainly w- will rank as one of my favorite things of the year. Um, and, uh, and we'll have another Guillermo del Toro property to talk about during our film episode when we get to that. Um, so let's... Uh, did you have anything else on Netflix that you wanted to reference? Uh, I'm I'm looking. I I'm. Uh, is is Better Call Saul a Netflix show? It is, right? It is on Netflix, but it is an AMC show. Because I know Breaking Bad is an AMC streaming show. Streaming home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Better Call Saul is still on AMC, but they worked out a deal with Netflix where basically when a season concluded relatively quickly after that it, it except for up. the new one the new one aired week to week on netflix 
Um, did it? Okay. Yeah. In that yeah. case, yeah. Because the thing about Better Call Saul is I haven't seen the other seasons. I just saw the last season. <laughs> and I do want to shout that out as being really great. I don't know many people who haven't seen it, but if you haven't, watch it. Because it's great. I loved it. Um, also, probably one of the more attractive shows just in how it's shot it's one of those like every frame of painting kind of television shows which is rare like i very rarely watch a tv show with the same kind of interest that i get out of a out of a movie so mm. that was another one that was standout yeah i've had more than a few people say that in its in its complete form the entire story of better call saul I have seen more than a few people say that it actually exceeds Breaking Bad for them as a television show, which I think says a lot about the storytelling on display. Because Breaking Bad is now held up as one of the finest, you know, produced television series of of probably all time. And there are quite a few people that have have said that Better Call Saul exceeds it in its its sort of totality. I think a lot of that has to do with Bob Odenkirk. I've only watched a few episodes. I've watched the pilot and a few after that. Um, now that it is finished, it's on my list to kind of just pound through, you know, relatively quickly. Cause I did a similar thing with breaking bad. I watched breaking bad up until I want to say midway through season two. And, and it, that show was just a lot for me at that time. I was kind of a young dad and I just was not in the market for something so horrible. <laughs> something that made me feel bad about everything when I watched it. Um, And so I, so I kind of bounced off that and then I came back to it when it was done and I just kind of ran all the way through. And so I kind of have a feeling that that's what I I will do with this one. Um, And, and you know, that's not to say anything about the quality of breaking bad. It was nothing about the show. It was me. You know, it was one of those, like it's me kind of things. And, and so I feel like the similar thing with better call Saul, I just kind of like was, not willing to engage with it week to week, even though I've had so many people recommend it. So I worked with a guy who was such a breaking bad fanatic that he inadvertently spoiled all of the major story beats of the show. I guess, yeah, it is worth noting that break it better call Saul is for the most part a prequel. It does the memento thing, right? Where we kind of see him post breaking bad and black and white scenes. And then the flashbacks are in, you know, full color, like the most of the episode, so, you know, which um, with, very famously Breaking Bad did in, in season two as well. But with Breaking Bad, that happened before I actually got started in the show. So I went into it knowing how everything plays out. Mm, gotcha. And it absolutely destroyed any momentum I had for watching the show. Even though I enjoy yeah. it, it was great. I was still thinking like, okay, so when does this happen? Because I know this is coming. Right. Yeah. Um, it's it's the IT crowd episode where the guy says, oh, what, what do you think of the twist? And he's like, oh, now I know there's a twist. Exactly. And now I'm going to watch the whole thing waiting for that to occur. And it just that's why spoilers are bad. It's not that knowing what happens and if a movie is well executed enough for a show, you're going to watch it through it knowing what's coming. But spoilers are bad because at least for me, now I'm waiting for it. Yeah. Now the movie becomes a game for figuring out when the spoiler is going to occur or when the, the twist is going to occur or whatever, rather than just enjoying the films it is. So 
So yeah, so, I totally yeah. get that. That that just really killed the whole thing for me. I still want to go back and and finish it anyway. Um, but now on the flip side, all I knew about Better Call Saul was that it was a prequel to the character in Breaking Bad. So I'm like, well, I really don't know anything about that character other than what people told me from that show. So this is just a a blank slate. So now I've watched that. I want to go back and watch the whole thing because it it was amazing. I yeah. loved it. So it was, it's a yeah. different motivation, I guess. Yeah, that perspective shift is, is enough probably to kind of get you in, in the door. And that's cool. Uh, so yes, Better Call Saul, absolutely on my list, but another one that unfortunately I have have not watched. Um, it's another one that I think um, my my partner did not get into Breaking Bad. We watched a bit of it together, but again, she was kind of in the same place where I like this is like way too heavy for me. And and it's the reason why I think Breaking Bad might be a little bit of a harder watch than Better Call Saul is that I think that Bob Odenkirk does a better job of making Saul or Jimmy likable, right? You love him because Bob Odenkirk is lovable. I Whereas oh, Bob Odenkirk is, I is the man. He's amazing. I have feelings for him. I don't even yes, care that I, he's in defeat. I have nice nope. feet, Bob. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good. Man. <laughs> um, whereas, as I think that Brian Cranston, where he takes the main character of Breaking Bad, I mean, part of what that show is doing is giving you a protagonist that you hate, like you you don't like him, but he's electric to watch him do it. So that kind of keeps you coming back. And then, of course, you know, he has his moments. But um, so he's I think not that's maybe Hal a, a from bit. Malcolm in the Middle. No, no. Even though that may be where he started, he very quickly leaves the speed walk and Hal behind. So um so awesome. That's a great recommendation. Better Call Saul finally wrapped up. All six seasons should now be streaming on Netflix for your view and pleasure. Uh, all right, let's uh, keep on a trucking. And uh, I'm going to talk about a show and I'm going to try not to talk about it too long. But my number one show of the year, the, the show that both surprised me and dazzled me and thrilled me from week to week was Andor. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, okay, so I'm going to recount a conversation that I had with a friend. Uh, we went to see Rogue One, which I liked, right? I thought Rogue One was a lot of fun. The heist, where I love heists. Heists are great. A good heist will propel a mediocre film all day long. Uh, but so I went to see Rogue One and I think we went to like a Wendy's after that to get something to eat. I don't remember, but we were sitting in a drive through and and he was talking about like, man, that was amazing. And he was talking about the hallway sequence at the end and and just like, oh, God, that's like everything I ever wanted. And I was like and I was like, dude, you know, I really liked that. I thought it was really good. But Star Wars has to stop showing me things I've seen before. Like they can't keep hammering like just hammering the nostalgia button to make me like things and rogue one didn't do this a ton and and that's where i why i led into it saying like you know i I liked it it was good but like i could already see the writing on the wall that disney was like this crop of films for the most part was going to exist entirely on the nostalgic feelings of 40 year old men and yeah. that 
in my opinion, is a mistake. Because as a 40-year-old man, I have kids. And I never wanted to be the dad that's like, we're watching the entire Star Wars series from start. Like, I never wanted to be that guy. Yeah, I I didn't want to hold lightsabers over their heads while they slept and say little prayers. Like, I, I... no film property is worth that. And if one of my kids watched Star Wars and said, that was kind of lame, I don't want to watch it anymore, I told myself I was going to be cool with that. And that was fine. And you can because just cry you should, about it later when you're alone. That's right. I'll cry about it in bed when everyone else is asleep. My children don't understand me. But, you know, you should love your own shit. And you should love your own shit for the reasons that you have. And so if my kids grew up loving, like, you know, some weird variant of Transformers or, or I mean, which is a bad example because it's another nostalgia based series. But like if they found something else that they were like, this is my thing and I love it and I'm planting my well, flag in it. To be they get fair, to have that. your daughter has. She oh, like, you're not an anime yeah. guy at all. Not, like, no. I know you like I mean, some of those properties, but yeah, but not the way that she likes it because she <laughs> loves it. And she loves the really wild stuff. Like some of the things yeah, that she she's told like me about, I'm like, I don't even understand what you're talking about, but it's great. I love it for you. Yeah. I mean, I'll show her ones that I like, like Trigun and she'll be like, I don't, I don't like this. Her big thing with Trigun and this is why I love her. She was like, I don't appreciate the female representations in this. <laughs> like, Why well, are they so worried about these things? And I'm like, you're a hundred percent correct. I have no notes on your take. Because yeah. this is an anime, this is an anime ass anime from 1993, and they didn't give a shit about that stuff. I did point out that one of the women is obviously a a transgender character, who you know is, but the show plays it for laughs. But anyway, yeah. like you know, but she has like very modern understanding of those things, and so when I look back and I show her, she did like Gundam Wing. I will say that. So we probably Everybody do need to finish loves Gundam a giant Wing. Robot. Who doesn't, right? But yes, so and and I'm cool with that. So I never wanted to be that guy. We're sitting there, we're talking about Rogue One. And I'm like, you gotta stop hammering on the nostalgia, but I need to see new shit. Like Disney has to show me new like Star Wars has to do new shit to keep people engaged and bring up new fans who are not just gonna be like, Oh, I remember Luke. Luke's amazing. Right? It's like, is that's not gonna work on a certain group of people? And so that was my my concern. Right. And I was just kind of voicing that. And then we got like four more years of like hard hammering nostalgia bait movies, a few glimmers of brightness in things like the last Jedi, which, you know, I think of, of the sequel trilogy films was at least trying to do new things. I'm not going to get into the argument of whether it did them well or whether you hate that movie and it destroyed star Wars and Ryan Johnson I... just, just bent Kathleen Kennedy over a table and just fucked her brains out and that's why you got to make that movie i don't care what little weird conspiracy theories you're going to come up with to say why that movie's bad it doesn't matter it means nothing to me it's the last jedi of the sequel trilogy is the best one of them because the sequel trilogy is trash <laughs> like there it's garbage um like the Re- return of skywalker kind of ruined them all backwards and at least the last jedi tried to do cool shit um so i got a little bit of it there but you sorry you were going to make a point uh, no, I just, I, I've been seeing that discourse get renewed, like, anytime anyone whispers. Oh, it's back. It's so weird. A single thing about that movie. And my problem is I can't remember what happened in any of those movies. <laughs> it's, it's rough. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be upset about. <laughs> I'm, well, they did Luke dirty. Luke oh. died. And that was bad. And everybody's real upset yeah. about it. Even though he had 
one of the most heroic, awesome deaths that you could possibly have in Star Wars. And that last fight scene of his is but like... he threw his lightsaber away. I always hear people like, talk about that. They get real mad about that. They get very mad about that. Even though that is the lightsaber that his father used to murder, like, I don't know, a thousand Jedi children. So why would he want it? He didn't know that in the original trilogy. He sure as shit does now. Why would he want that one? Why would he look at that thing and be like, oh, yes, my precious lightsaber, the one that my father used to cut down the entire Jedi Order, leaving me alone and murdering my mother. Don't they make new ones all the time? Yeah. I mean, Luke has his own lightsaber. He doesn't need that one. Yeah. It doesn't matter. What difference does it make? Man, I don't understand um, Star Wars. <laughs> uh, so anyway, okay. So to say all that, Star Wars has kind of been in a weird place, way too nostalgia baity, way too dependent upon stuff we've seen before, and a long. And I mean, and, and this this even holds true for the Mandalorian, which I love. I, I think the Mandalorian is great. It's a fun adventure series. The character is awesome. Pedro Pascal kills it in every episode. Baby, baby Yoda, Grogu, whatever. Great. It's disgusting. Love it. It's disgusting how great it is. Drop kick that thing over a cliff. I hate it. No, you because Uh, it's so cute and you love it secretly and you want it around uh, you. Um, But I like Mandalorian a lot. But it too is a little bit nostalgia baby on a lot of these things. And so then we come to to Andor, which was a was a series. I knew I was going to watch it, so I didn't really watch a bunch of the run up to it. I was like, it's Andor. It's a new show. I'll watch it. I like that character from Rogue One. Whatever. And then it starts, and I'm and I and I sit up off the couch and I'm like, wait. I look around at my family who are also watching. I'm like, this is good. <laughs> this is good. What is this? I don't understand. I'm confused. Like the dialogue's good because that's the other thing. Star Wars dialogue sucks in most circumstances. It's so basic and so simple, and yeah, it's got its glimmers. You know, especially in, in the original trilogy, you know, there'll be a little philosophizing or something and be like, oh, that's a nice, that's a nice turn of phrase, you know, or whatever. But it's, it's, it's not generally something that you listen to and go like, wow, that has like rhythm and flow, like the things that you really want out of well-written stuff. And so like Andor starts and almost right off the bat, it feels good. The story's getting built very quickly. Like we're not wasting time. Characters aren't constantly you know, saying expository things to explain stuff is just like, let's just go, right? Let's just move and have shit happen and have it be cool. And, and it, it sort of took off. And by the time I would say it hit episode, I would say by episode five, I was so invested in this character that I know is going to die. Like I know I've seen his death. I watched it happen, but I'm so invested in this dude and how he is developing into a rebel and what that means for both him and the people he cares about and the movement itself that it's it's the most it's the most I've loved a Star Wars thing since I was a kid pretty easily and this and this is coming from a guy who loves most Star Wars things because I just can't help myself right I'm just <laughs> I can't I try not to. I try to be like objective and be like, ah, oh, this is bad. Oh, look at this filmmaking. I try I try to put that hat on and then I just immediately take it right off and be like, oh, look, there's a B-wing. There's, you know, whatever. You know, it's just like, I just, it's, it's, it's a curse and I'm sorry. Like they got me. They got me at the right age. It's done at this point. The rest of my life, I'm, I'm going to be there. But Andor is unequivocally, even if I put that hat on, 
it holds up across the board, right? Even if I put on all the the cinematography, incredible, the writing out of this world. Like I mentioned it on one of our rings of power episodes, but like there are lines in Andor that, that rings of powers writing room would have killed someone to get to, to come up with. Right. And, and Andor just tosses them out. Like it's playing tennis with a wall. Like, it's just like, Oh yeah. Banger, 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 banger. Like no question. And it's, it's remarkable. The level of quality to the point that it feels like somebody at Disney just fucked up and was just like not paying attention. And it's like, Oh, it's who's doing it. Tony Gilroy. We like Tony Gilroy. We'll just let him do what he wants. It's fine. And then they, then they were getting the stuff back and being like, wait, what is this? What is no, no, you can't do this. Where are all the lightsabers? Wait, no, I need to see, you know, people getting chopped in half with lightsabers. That's what the kids want, you know, or whatever. What we need is and someone in, doing backflips with a lightsaber. Actually, if you don't have seven backflips per episode, we're not going to put it on Disney plus Tony Gilroy. And I feel like he probably had to fight for some of that stuff. I really do. I feel like it was an argument that he definitely had to have. But the scripts are so strong. The performance is so good. Some of the guest stars in this are just killer. Um, but the standout for me, apart from Ka- from Cassian Andor himself, Diego Luna is the rock solid base of the show. And he is so good. And he is doing so many subtle things with seeing this character go from being basically kind of shit heel to being like, a guy that you believe could lead a rebel army. But the standout for me is Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, his character in the show, Luthan Rail, is probably in my top five characters of Star Wars ever now. Like, I think it would probably be toss up between Han Solo and Luke for one and two, depending on how I'm feeling. Cause you know, again, that, that just got me. Uh, to probably Chewie and then R2-D2 and then like Luthan Rail. Right? Like, and I don't know how that happened. I really don't. Um, but Luthan, uh, the character itself is incredibly complex, played with incredible skill by Stellan Skarsgård in this, in this show. Um, and, and he delivers a speech at the end of, I want to say, episode six maybe seven, maybe five. It might be, it might be episode five for that as well. He delivers a speech that is possibly the greatest speech that any character in star Wars has ever uttered because it's, it's just great. I, mean, I can't say anything about it. I don't want to say anything about it because you need to watch it and, and have it happen to you in real time as it did for me. But um, it's incredible. And I loved it. All of it. Uh, Andor is without a doubt one of the greatest Star Wars pieces of media in history. Total slow burn. Do not go into this expecting your standard adventure series stuff. Basically think of them as four 90 minute movies. This is really what the show is. And, and so each movie, each 90 minute chunk sort of develops at its own speed and pace pays off then moves on and the character goes to another phase and and it's great like it's just great tony gilroy and all of his brothers are working on it and you can feel that because they're good at what they do i i get i could talk about it for hours and if we broke down per episode i could have lots more things to say about it but andor is even if if you're a person who just likes good premium tv 
the thing for Andor that works for me is that if you take all the Star Wars out of it, just strip all the Star Wars stuff away and put it in like Turkey and there's like a politically fraught situation and a rebellion is developing against some oppressive government and you have all the same things happen and all the same characters do the same things that they would do in that circumstance, it still would be a fantastic show. It would be a killer show. And so if you take that and put Star Wars shit in it, it becomes like one of the best things of all time for me. And it's great. It's just so good. I can't, I can't even say how good it is. I don't know if I can fully express it. Um, but it just feels like a very complete thing. It feels super well thought out. It's shot on location. Not everything's inside the volume, that weird little dome that they shoot everything in now because <laughs> it's cheap. Um, it's all like in Scotland and, and cool locations all over the world. There's a scene at the end when somebody gets hit with a brick and it's one of the best scenes in the film, in the whole thing, because the brick has meaning. Like when that brick comes out and you see that thing get used, you're just like, Oh shit, it's the brick. And it is awesome. <laughs> like it's just great. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, Andor's awesome. Watch it. I'll, I'll stop now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we knew this was coming. We knew I know. You had to I've talk been wanting about to it. talk about it for so long. It's but okay. no, I, know I'm, I'm, I know you've started it. Yeah, but it's it's long. I'm, it's I'm glad that, that Star Wars is is doing some different stuff. I mean, I am I'm I'm at such a weird place with the entire franchise because like I don't hate Star Wars. Of course, I don't hate Star Wars. What? Um, I right. joke that I do. But it's really just sure. that I don't understand most of it anymore. Like a good ninety percent of it just doesn't make sense to me. It's like Harry Potter. I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I don't know who any of these people are. I sure. love Chewbacca yeah. still. Totally. I love him. Absolutely. That's my favorite. Um, he's he's up there for me too. Like I'm that geek who, when I saw the new movies, the new trilogy, it's not new anymore, but I'm still gonna call it the new ones. Um, whenever Chewbacca yeah. showed up, I'm like. <gasps> He's here. There it's he him. is. There he is, the big guy. Oh. He's still up there kicking around. Like, that's an easy uh, way to my heart. Just show me a thing that's a giant dog. Yeah, I mean. But the yeah. first episode of Andor was was good. So, so yeah, I do want to keep watching that. But it is, it's a time commitment because they are long episodes. Yeah, it's it's a full 12 hours of of show, which is a lot to take in in this bingeable society. It's one of the few shows that I watched this year that I was kind of glad that it was an episode at a time, not because I didn't, I wasn't desperate for the next episode. I was, but it made it easier in terms of time commitment to get through it. So, um, a couple other Disney plus shows since we're, we're talking about them. Uh, obviously Marvel put out a tremendous amount of Disney plus content. I, I would say the vast majority of what they did this year was Disney plus TV. Um, and most of it is good. Um, like your relationship with Star Wars, I'm at kind of a weird place with Marvel because I'm a Marvel kid. Uh, I have a stack, like an actual stack of Marvel comics in my dining room right now that need to be bagged and boarded. It's from my classic collection that have just not been housed properly. Um, and, and I'm looking back through them being like, oh, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 315. That was the second appearance of Venom. And, oh, uh, you know, Sandman's in this one or, or whatever. Not the Sandman's, different guy. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, just I'm looking through them being like, dude, this is also kind of built into my bones. And so the Marvel Universe is is very important to me. I love most of the films. Uh, the TV shows are a little bit more hit and miss. Uh, I've enjoyed them. They don't really feel like TV shows as they generally do just long movies, which I think is part of the problem because, um, you know, that's not how we're consuming them for the most part. These are week to week shows. So they don't generally the, the episodes nobody it feels like nobody's really looking at each episode to try and make that episode feel satisfying anymore like nobody's trying to do that with tv uh and or kind of does it really does but you know a lot of the marvel stuff it just feels like a, a long movie and long movies don't always they're just not always satisfying if you chop them up into chunks that feel arbitrary um so there were several that came out i like she hulk more than most we talked about that a little bit previously it's a fun little goofy lawyer show as long as you forget about what it means to be a lawyer and what lawyers do um it, it's but it's a it's you know she hulk's fun and tatia maslani is great and it ends in a weird way that's interesting uh so i i, I will recommend she hulk especially if you you know sort of dig that character or have any awareness of that character from the comics at all i think it does her does her pretty well um, so that was fun. Moon Knight was good. Uh, it was one of the weirder ones that Marvel has done. It is dealing with mental illness. Not super well, but better than it probably has ever been handled in the comics, if I could put it that way, because the comics never really handled it super well either. But if you don't know, Moon Knight is a is a character who has disassociative identity disorder and has since his inception. Um and the the show really tries to lean into that and do things with it. And then it kind of forgets about that for a couple episodes and then kind of tries to do it again and then kind of forgets about it again. And it, it's, it's a little bit scattered again. At one time you could do things like this in pop culture media and nobody really called you on it. That's harder now, but I, I enjoyed what it did. But again, there are like two episodes in there where like not a lot happens and it doesn't really do anything. And it feels like maybe we're just stalling for time until the big fight at the end. And, you know, again, it feels more like a problem with how TV shows are made now because it really seems like they're just making them as one big thing. And then they just arbitrarily chop them into 55 minute chunks. And that's fine if you're going to watch it all at once. But if you're going to try and like actually watch it as episodes, it's just an infinitely frustrating. Uh, so Moon Knight was good. Ms. Marvel was also cute. Um, really had more to say culturally than anything else that Marvel has done. Cause Ms. Marvel of course is a, is a Muslim character and, and the, she has been from her inception in like 2012, 2013 when the character was relaunched. And so they do a good job with it. I think most of it, it's really the family drama stuff in that, that works best. The superhero stuff looks bad. And I guess that's worth saying about all of these Marvel shows. Most of the special effects in them are bad. Like they're just, it's almost like somebody had like a little slider that was like quality versus cost. And they just kept kind of like hovering in the middle. And then whenever anything got difficult, they just were like, no, make it cheap, <laughs> make it cheap. No, that's hard. Make it cheap. Um, and, and you can really feel that. And, and it's not like all the Marvel movie special effects are good. Like usually they're just fine. Like Black Panther 2 had some super dodgy shit at the end of that too. But it's like, you know, 
if you're going to do that, find creative ways to do it and have it be okay. Right. Like just don't, it just seems like Marvel has gotten to the point now where they are just relying on, on computer graphics to solve every problem that they have. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you could, you could try some other shit here. Yeah. Right. You don't always have to do that. Yeah. Like, you know, just put them on a wire, have them stand in the middle of the road in the sky and then figure out how to, you know, solve it in a different direction. Um, but, uh, yeah, in any case, so the Marvel shows fine. Um, I was going to mention Kenobi. It, it it was not one of my favorite things of the year, but I know you were marginally interested in that one. Did you check it out? Uh, I watched like a big wrap up from some reviewer, mm-hmm. but I didn't watch the show and I'm glad I didn't because I don't think I could have handled it. <laughs> um, there, there's about 45 minutes of Kenobi that's really good. Like cool. Like yeah. And then the rest of it is like what? Um my biggest thing with it and I don't know if where this is happening with these Star Wars TV shows, but they seem to have sort of forgotten how action scenes work. And Kenobi had a lot of these where it was like wait, what just happened? Uh, one I didn't put on here because it's not finished yet, so I don't know if I'm going to like it or not, is the new Willow show on Disney+, Plus, yeah. which is, I love Warwick Davis. I have an unreasonable affection for Willow, which is a mediocre film at best. But I had a Mad Mardigan poster on my wall for the vast majority of my childhood. I'm thinking from like 10 to probably 16. I remember the poster. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Val Kilmer, I Chef's Kiss. I think I still have the poster. I think it's in my drawing table, but uh, yeah. It, so I like Willow and this new show is good. It's doing weird things, which I actually kind of like it's, it's not what I expected in a good way, but it has no understanding of how to shoot an action scene. And I'll give you an example from the last week. There's big action set piece. It's in a location from the original film. So it's like, Oh, and, and so they're making a big deal about how, using magic hurts willow which we see in the original film like it's it's hard for him to do real magic because his body kind of he doesn't have the the mass to channel it i guess i don't don't, it's never really explained but whatever but it causes him pain and so they're kind of introducing this almost ticking clock element like how much magic does willow have left and so like i can tell they they're worried about him engaging in stuff that he can't deal with at least not yet because they've got some big thing coming later but so we're in this location, battles happening, magic required. Willow does a magic thing, which is good. And then he's like falling over on the ground. He's in pain from doing the magic thing. And this like little goblin, just like a little <laughs> stone goblin comes out from behind some rubble and just grabs him and holds him. And it's like, oh, okay, so something's happened here. And that's, that's how we're going to keep Keep him out of the rest of whatever this fight's going to be. Okay, cool. Um, and so, like, the fight happens. It's not great. Some things get thrown around. There's a little bit of, like, casting, whatever. So the, the thing comes to an end, and I'm like, okay, well, Willow's being held by the stone goblin. Somebody's going to run over and help him or break it or do whatever. No, he just appears. And he's like, why were you guys doing that? And it's like, wait, what happened to the little stone goblin? Where did it go? Oh, like, did he dispense with it? Like, 
if whatever happened happened off screen and was never mentioned again. And it's like, okay, that's, that's bad action beats guys. Like you introduced that as a complication and then we never saw that complication resolved, right? That's like, you know, in die hard, you see him get glass in his feet. And then the next time you see him, he's just fine. Right. Which you get there. Like eventually he runs, like he never had glass in his feet, but you get the scene of him in the, the duct pulling the glass out of his feet and being in pain because you have to, you have to explain oh, this terrible thing happened. How do we deal with it? it? This show just doesn't do that. And it's like the second or third time. There was another time where Willow like threw down a smoke bomb and then everyone that they were fighting disappeared. Not them. Like they didn't throw the smoke bomb and then escape. He threw the smoke bomb and then all of the people that they were fighting with left. <laughs> just like, that seems counterproductive. That seems like the opposite of what you would want to happen in that circumstance. So uh, that stuff is like weird. And a lot of the Disney stuff right now feels like there's just pieces missing, right? Like we just didn't have the money or time to do that. Maybe it was COVID related. All of these shows were being made during COVID. So maybe that was all related to that. I don't know. But it's just the quality ticker seems to kind of be going down. Not like Andor though. Andor looks good all the way through, baby. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but, but in any case, uh, yes. So the Marvel shows, uh, she Hulk good, uh, uh, Ms. Marvel solid moon Knight mostly. Okay. But two episodes in the middle literally are meaningless and don't have to be there. Um, so, you know, okay. I did want to call out one other show on Disney plus that my family and I really enjoyed. And I, I want to call it out because I want people to watch it so that we get more of it. And that is the mysterious Benedict society. Um, starring Tony Hale and uh, Kirsten Shaw and a bunch of other super awesome people. Uh, it's an adaptation of a children's book series called the mysterious Benedict society about uh, a group of orphans who are brought together by this mysterious Mr. Benedict to solve a global crisis that is being caused unbeknownst to Mr. Benedict by his twin brother, um, which that's not really a reveal of the first episode, the first season you find out the end of the first episode, I think. And both of those characters are played by Tony Hale and Tony Hale is amazing in the show. He's wonderful. Uh, just absolutely top notch playing both these characters. The kids are great. Again, we talked about kids drama and how most kids are terrible in these drama shows. Uh, and this isn't really a drama, I guess, but, the kids are really good. They've got good dynamics, good chemistry, solid writing. Mostly I love it because it's, it's directed or a good chunk of it's directed by James Bobin, uh, who, if you know who James Bobin is, he came up doing flight of the Concords with Jermaine Clement and Brett McKenzie. He directed most of those episodes. Uh, he directed the most recent Muppet films, which are just lovely little things. They're fluff. I mean, they really don't matter, but that's kind of the Muppets. That's okay. <clears throat> nobody goes to the Muppets for high drama or you shouldn't, I guess. Um, but it's just this great little family show. The second season just ended lovely, beautiful. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to say it. It's, it's like perfect little family entertainment. Just great. Every episode looks like a Wes Anderson film. Like it's just immaculately designed colors everywhere. Just gorgeous. I, I love it. So didn't want to call that one out. Not a, not a huge recommendation, but if you're just looking for something that a whole family can watch and be engaged by mysterious Benedict society is very good. And it actually is, does have some interesting 
ideas running behind it in terms of like control and what does it mean to be happy? Like just interesting kind of stuff going on there. So I uh, did want to throw that one out there too. So uh, if, did you have any Disney plus recommendations? I know I've been blathering um, on for a bit. I, I don't, I'm, I'm still relatively new to getting back into Disney plus actually, because you had to give me Disney plus. <laughs> I had to help you out with that one. <laughs> Um, but yes, so that's that's pretty much all of my Disney Plus recommendations. Uh, I know they've had some original stuff this year. And Disney's kind of dumping everything onto it now. But those were my highlights for sure. I think those were kind of the big ticket items for me. Um, so I guess let's let's keep trucking on to uh, another streaming service and its, its myriad shows. In this case, Paramount Plus, at least here in the U.S. And one show that I, I would be remiss in not addressing is strange new worlds. Um, now it is worth saying that who doggies uh, Paramount Plus is not a thing over here in Europe. As far are you as telling me that the CBS Broadcasting Corporation, owned by Paramount Viacom, does not have a foothold in the Swedish television landscape? They don't. Uh, oh, so dang. I don't. I got I mean, to call don't, their marketing department. I wonder if they have. It looks like they have opened it up to to Sweden now, but I definitely don't have it. Um, but I may be able to get access to it at some point. Uh, but yeah, but when I got here, I, I, I didn't have access to it at all. So I have not watched strange new worlds yet. Who buddy? Um, gosh, golly. Uh, um, All right, so we've already talked about complicated relationships with Star Wars. Let's talk about an uncomplicated relationship for me, and that's with Star Trek. Um, I love Star Trek in pretty much any form. Some new Star Trek is a little rough. Uh, I was going to mention Picard Season 2 on here because... it wasn't very good is what I'm trying to say it was uh, it was pretty yeah. bad uh, but unequivocally Strange New Worlds is peak Star Trek like it is top level Star Trek like it's a prequel which again gotta move away from prequels I get it but this is a prequel that I kind of want to see because it's about a captain that is kind of legendary in Star Trek Captain Pike and sort of what he was doing prior to Jim Kirk taking over the enterprise and man, just what a absolute banger of a show. Every episode killed it. The acting on point Anson Mount as Christopher Pike, maybe one of the best captains we've ever seen on screen. And that's coming from people like, like there are a lot of really good Star Trek captains, right? But he is great in the show. Um, Incredibly well designed. The sets feel old, right? They feel like they could be. It was almost like they like their design principle when putting, you know, this enterprise together, which is an enterprise we've seen before a lot, right? You know, it was almost like they said, okay, well, let's imagine that this is the ship that you remember it looking like because you you added on these layers of complexity in your mind. Right. Like it's the one that you would have seen if, if like you could 
if you could only ever remember watching that show on like a 13 inch color TV in your basement. And so all you could, you know, you never really noticed the cardboard walls or like the weird ships handles just like shoved into the walls in various places. But this is what you would remember like that. Like it was like, that was their, their guiding design principle was like, we're going to recreate that ship. We're going to recreate that environment, but we're going to build it in such a way that it's the one that you remember it being not the one it was. And it's gorgeous. The The enterprise in this series is so good. Um, a lot of really good, like slow movements around the ship. It's, it's nice. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't have to go into a ton of detail about it, uh, but to say that strange new worlds was, it renewed my faith that star Trek could be culturally relevant, deeply philosophical action adventure. Like it's all of the things it's the mix of star Trek. That is the best star Trek, you know, cause we've had star Trek kind of go, down their various alleyways to get to certain places, right? You know, sometimes Star Trek goes way more, you know, action adventure or, or like, you know, when, when deep space nine becomes the war show after season five and there's in war all the time, then it's like real action heavy and like heists and shit like that. And then you've got Star Trek where it's like deeply philosophical and you're dealing with these moral questions and complicated cultural situations that we're just can't fully understand like next gen, like some of the best next generation episodes, you know, like we, we, we've seen Star Trek shows go down these alleyways and strange new worlds has a great balance of all of them pretty much all the way through just a banger writer season. Um, and ends with a reveal that I never would have expected as a villain for the show, but I am so excited about, like, I cannot even tell you what it means. Cause it's, cause if they pull it off, it will be redeeming one of the stupidest things in Star Trek, like straight up dumbest things in Star Trek. And it's going to make it cool as shit. So uh, very excited about that. But yes, Strange New Worlds, unequivocal recommendation. If you have, you can watch on Paramount Plus, do it, I guess, so that they make more, but just find it. You know, you know where to find it. Just, you I know, do. you know, just I go know get it. Too. Um, I know but it, that's a show, you know, we were talking about the nostalgia buttons with Star Trek. That show has them like, oh, my God, like there are so many nostalgia buttons that you can press in that era of Star Trek. My God. Right. Like this is this is that era of Star Trek. And you can just be like, oh, this is a character I recognize from this. and But none of it is done without purpose and without very specific reason. And. And that is what I think that Star Wars needs to figure out. It's like, it's okay to have callbacks and or has callbacks, lots of them. But they're used very judiciously and they're, they're not there for nothing, for no reason. They're not just, you don't just see a guy with a lightsaber walking through the background. So you can be like, oh my gosh, is that Kiati Mundi? Right? Like, just like nobody's doing that because that's stupid. Did you just name drop the... Uh, uh- Motherfucker with the big it's, forehead. It's the big forehead guy <laughs> from the prequels who we saw die on Ord Mantell, so it doesn't matter. But I don't know if that was Ord Mantell. I think it was. But yeah, no, I, I, but I mean, again, you know, there would be, there, like Luthen, for example, he is, he, he deals in antiquities, right? And his shop is full of shit that you've seen in other Star Wars things. Never discussed. 
Never talked about. Nobody walks in and goes like, oh, is this one of these? <laughs> oh, I think the Emperor might have used this in episode five. <laughs> you know, there's none of that garbage. And <laughs> that would be and- great if Star Wars started <laughs> referencing the movies by their names. <laughs> I mean, that's basically where we're at at this point. It's like, you know... Is like every every episode of a Star Wars thing needs to come with like a Wikipedia entry at the end to be like, oh, this was seen. It's like, no, stop it. Just don't worry about it. Just let us see the stuff and we'll figure it out. And Strange New Worlds kind of handles it that way, too. Although there is one big kind of nostalgia baity thing they do at the end, but it's so fucking cool. I didn't care. Um, yeah, Strange New Worlds. Go find it. Season two should be ramping up very shortly. And mm, just chef's kiss star trek that's all i'm gonna say it's just chef's kiss star trek all the way through every episode it's like yes 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 <laughs> so good um so great I'll, i will throw in there too that's uh lower decks is just a delight i my favorite that is a really it. funny show <laughs> it's such a it's such a kick-ass little show man now that one has tons of on the nose star trek references but that's kind of their joke Right. Like that's the joke. This is this is the show where a character will find like Kalos's sex helmet, <laughs> his battle sex helmet, and just it's a one off joke. Right. And that's fine. Like animation, you can get away with more of that shit. But it actually is telling interesting stories. There was an interesting season long story through season three about a admiral trying to develop a new kind of starship technology and it's mostly backgrounded. It, it, they really just sort of touch on it on, in really small ways through most of the episodes. And then it sort of comes to a climax at the end of the season. But super clever and absolutely believable as like a legit Star Trek episode. Like, like the storyline that they build across all of the ones where they're making all the jokey jokes. By the time they get to the end, it's like, oh, yeah, I could, I could have definitely seen this being an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. This makes a ton of sense. Um, so really just a wonderful little thing. So if you, if you're signing up for Paramount plus to watch strange new worlds as you should, then go ahead and watch lower decks as well. I, I totally did not watch that show for a long time. So it's like, I don't need animated star Trek in my life. And that was a mistake straight up. Like I was, I did a bad thing and I should have been better about it, but uh, wonderful, wonderful strange new worlds. Watch it. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> All right. So uh, any other things that I guess, you know, not on Paramount Plus, but anything else related to that you want to hit before we move on? Uh, No. All right. Uh, Well, I'm going to mention two on Amazon Prime. We've already talked at length about Rings of Power. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Season two apparently moves apace. Great. What? Sure. I'm glad those people have jobs. Um, I don't know if I will watch it, but whatever. Um. I do want to talk about two uh, other Amazon prime shows, one that I thought was really good. And one that I just want to mention in relationship to that other one. So the one I want to talk about that was good was reacher. Um, just a surprise. I wasn't expecting it to be anything. I like the character of Jack reacher. I'm not a huge like Lee child fan. I don't have all of the books on my shelf or anything, but well aware of the character, well aware of the Tom Cruise films. Um, and so this popped up on Amazon prime and I was like, you know, sure, I'll, I'll check it out. seems all right. I like Alan Richson, the guy that they got to play Reacher in this one. He is just a massive dude, like just super big dude. Uh, I, rem- if I remember correctly, he was the original guy they got to play Aquaman on Smallville. Um, he's just like a stunt guy. He's been around forever. Um, great as Reacher. 
solid, like interesting, twisty mystery story that he has to solve along with his friends or his, his people that he meets in this series. Um, just a great, you know, I, I'll admit like anybody else, I like mystery procedurals, right? Like, you know, I understand why law and order is popular. I have no desire to watch law and order, but I get it right. You want to see how the twisty murder gets solved, right? Like, and, and this has that in spades, great twisty murder, um, solid action. Again, Richardson's an old school stunt guy. So he's got really good stunt chops. It's all him, you know, not using stunt double, which is super cool. Um, and just really good character work, you know, the, the storytelling on display, excellent. Uh, just a, a pretty unequivocal recommend. It's, it's the kind of show if, if you're like talking to one of your parents and they're like, man, I'm just really don't have a show to watch, like recommend Reacher, right? <laughs> just like, they'll like it. They will. It's just very much in that alleyway, but I enjoyed it too. I thought it was good. Uh, very much looking forward to season two, which apparently is filming now. Along with that, I'll mention the terminal list. Starring Christopher J. Praticus the Fourth. I think you mean um, Mario. I do mean Mario. <laughs> it's a me. Uh, I have really mixed feelings about this show. The show was not very good. I do not think uh, it's fine. It's it's made well enough, but that show goes to really weird tonal places. I do not like that it became this weird like conservative sticking point where everybody's like, oh, if you're a conservative fan, you need to watch the Terminal List. It's for it's for rednecks or whatever. I, I saw so many articles that were like, this is the show the conservatives love, and that's why the Democrats hate them. Or, and I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, I don't know why this show is becoming this. To like, me, it just sounded like a bad TV show. <laughs> it's just a TV show about an ex-Navy SEAL. Like, I, I don't get it. I, I know it's based on a book series that did well by an actual, like, ex-Navy SEAL. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of, like, really well thought out stuff in it. The show seems kind of implausible to me on a bunch of different levels. So I'm kind of like, mm, I, don't, I don't know about the pedigree of this. But it's it was a show. Chris Pratt, you know, again, I, I understand he's a problematic dude. Like he's America's youth pastor now or whatever. He seems like a fine guy. Like, I, I don't understand the, I don't fully understand the depths of the hate for him. I get it, but I'm like, it seems like you're giving the dude from Everwood a little bit too much credibility here. Like just calm down. He's just another actor. Like, I don't understand what the problem is. He's baby Clint Eastwood. That's, that's really all we got here. Like we're just 20 years away from him showing up at the RNC doing a speech to an empty chair kind of shit. And that's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> like, I don't care. But, you know, anyway. So the Terminal is fairly straightforward action show. But, and this could be spoilers. So if you haven't watched it, you might want to skip ahead, I don't know, a minute or something. So it's a revenge show. Like, this guy's family gets killed. And he's kind of blamed for it. He just there again, it's a show that kind of like messily deals with mental illness right at the jump and then just kind of like absolutely fucks it up. But his family gets killed. It becomes this revenge thing. And, and eventually he, he, you know, we know this, but he finds the guy eventually. Right. It's, again, this is also one of those shows where it's like he finds the guy and then realizes it's not the guy. And then he has to find another guy and then another guy and then another guy. Like that's the terminal list, right? The list of people he needs to kill. Uh, but he finds the guy or a guy that was involved and 
And so from the beginning of the show, he had these hatchets. Okay. Um, and, and we've seen them. They've like, they're like hanging on the wall in his garage. And so he, he takes the hatchets with him on the mission to get the guy. And I'm like, okay, well, he's definitely going to do something with the hatchets. Right. I mean, that's why they're there. <laughs> Chekhov's hatchet. And what he uses the hatchets for, and he leaves them there. So he can't use them again, which I thought was a, was a choice. So he, he takes the hatchet and, and this guy that killed his family. So again, in, in the terms of the universe of the show, totally justified in, in real world. Eh, I don't know. So he uses one of the hatchets to gut the man, right? Just stabs him in the stomach, rips his guts open. And, and so all of the man's intestines fall out. Right. And no, we're not talking about Terrifier 2. We could be, but we're not. All of the guts fall out. He takes one of the guts and takes the other hatchet and then uses the hatchet to attach the guts to the pillar above his head because he's attached to a pillar uh, currently. Then he cuts the guy loose and makes him walk for 20 or 30 paces. He's like, no, I need you to walk with me. And so they walk. And while this is happening, his guts are being strung out, you know, from the pole where they were attached to with the hatchet, you know, to the floor and, and wherever. And so he's, he's torturing this guy, um, pretty extensively. Um, that continues for a while, probably too long. And then he ends up, of course, you know, murdering him at the end. And, you know, this was the point that I got to the show. I was watching the show. It was just, like, towards the end. a couple episodes left. And, you know, I just kind of, like, stopped it after that. And I was like, you know, I feel like... I feel like this things to do. I feel like this show's a bit excessive, right? <laughs> like, it's hard to see our Christopher J. Pratticus IV as heroic after doing that to a human being. Justified though it may be, right? Like, that feels like the critical moment in a story where a guy says, like, I'm going, I'm going to kill you, right? Sure. But that's not just killing. That's, that's a, that's a step beyond the murder. And the fact that they put Taylor Kitsch in the scene and he goes like, Jesus, dude, isn't really enough to kind of couch that, right? It isn't yeah. enough for the show to be like, well, we had a guy say Jesus, dude. So isn't no, it okay? No, it deserves a bit more than that. <laughs> yeah, like it feels like that might actually not be enough to deal with what this guy just did to this other guy, justified or no. Uh, so that was kind of my the, my terminalist experience in a nutshell. I did finish it, you know, a while later, and it ends in the way that you would expect conspiracies and, oh, everyone was involved and whatever. Like, it's typical shit. But uh, yeah, it felt like it felt like maybe the ghost of Tom Clancy should have come to this series and been like, don't be dumb shits, you know, like that kind of thing. And nobody was there to do that because Tom Clancy's dead. And, and maybe they should have had a consultant or something from Tom Clancy come over and be like, is this what you do in these? Is this how you do this? And Tom Clancy would be like, no, no, you don't want to do that. That's real bad. Uh, so anyway, that's the terminal list. Uh, reach your good terminal list, mediocre, maybe a little bit bad, but uh, yeah, anyway. But the other Amazon Prime show that I definitely want to talk about because we've both seen it is Outer Range. And this one needs to be talked about because more people need to watch it. Um, Outer Range yeah, I'm, starring I'm, I'm, Josh Brolin. 
I love Josh Brolin. I'm a big fan. Um, I th- I'm afraid that this show is probably going to get canned, though. Me too. I, I'm almost certain of it because no announcements have been made. And I feel like somebody would have made an announcement. It's it's a weird show. Um, and I think maybe it's it's so slow to get started and it's so slow to figure out where it's headed mm-hmm. that even though I enjoyed absolutely every moment of it, it's hard, it's a tough sell to people because it is, unless you like particularly enjoy watching uncomfortable situations with country people, which I do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I love people in Carhartts who are just so deeply uncomfortable expressing emotion that they would rather drive off a cliff in their, their giant pickup trucks. Like, I don't know. I just, I find that incredibly engaging. Um, a lot of guys but also talk I out of the sides bit, of their mouths because they have chaw on the other side. Yeah. Like I was a little bit homesick when I started watching it, you know, well not homesick cause I'm not homesick, but <laughs> right. I got a bit wistful. Sure. Yeah. When I see all of these people in 10 gallon hats with big belt buckles who who don't know how to relate to each other. This Driving mid 90s box Chevys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, this is this takes me back and I want to leave. But it's <laughs> but it was still it was it was really wonderful. Um and Josh Brolin is amazing. He's such a good actor. Uh and it has my my favorite Lily Taylor She's mother. <laughs> she is she's wife. I just love her so much. Um and and it, actually the cast is probably the best thing about it cuz like I said it's it's mm-hmm. slow. Yes, this is I mean, we talk about Andor being a slow burn. This is a total slow burn. Like it is all about you spending time with the characters. Um I am seeing an article from Esquire that's saying that the show was renewed with a new showrunner in October. So but I, I have not heard anything and that was not heavily publicized. So I, I, again, if it is renewed, yippee skippy, but, but yeah, um, I don't know, <laughs> but it's, it's a super slow burn. Like this is a show that is building really the first season is building to a moment like a revelation, right? This isn't lost where there are like 40 revelations and then you get two of them. It's one revelation, just like this is a thing that happened and we can't explain it kind of thing. And it's super fucking cool. <laughs> but yeah, it, it this is this is prestige TV drama territory, right? Like that's what they are doing. And, and it has that feel to it. It's not sort of pulp genre stuff, even though it certainly has those elements. It is really this sort of like discreet, quiet family drama. I've never seen Yellowstone, so I can't say in the vein of Yellowstone, but I feel like it's in the same vein as Yellowstone. You know, so you kind of have to know that going in, like you need to be aware. I love weird West. I love Western science fiction. I love, I just love Westerns and, uh, I would I wouldn't watch Yellowstone because I think I would be bored by that show. But this this is this is a Western sci-fi, and I that's 
you couldn't combine things in a more perfect way. <laughs> no, it's and it's such a strange pairing. Like it's a pairing that we don't get enough in sort of decently budgeted science fiction and or, or decently budgeted television in general, definitely not on the sci-fi side. And there are some core sci-fi elements to outer range that become very obvious right from the start. Like not not no spoilers. Um such a cool show though. I, I like just very good. I feel like it's extremely well acted. Josh Brolin sort of anchors the entire show, but it is worth noting that the supporting cast on the show is also absolutely top notch. Um, his wife is played by, Oh gosh. Um, geez. Uh, Lily Taylor. Yeah. Who, I mean, my God, she is mother. I love her. She's so good. I've loved her since her role on um, Six Feet Under. Like, that's really where I first sort of recognized Lily Taylor and came to know her. She's so, so good. I think this is going to sound really stupid, but for, for whatever reason, I saw that stupid haunting movie like Conjuring. three times in the theater. I got dragged mm-hmm. to it. Yes, because it was so um, good. And I fell in love with her then mm-hmm. because, I don't know, she was just, she was so sweet and so pretty and just, she was the best thing about the movie. And ever since then, she's kind of popped up in just increasingly better stuff. Just yes. better and better and better movies. And I love her a little bit more every time. And this, this was just it. This is great. She's, she's such a badass. And kind of crazy, like when she has her she's unhinged a little bit scenes. Far out. Yeah, she's she's a bit gone, which is she's is cool. Great. It's a cool way to play that character. Um, the other one that I'll call out, even though the entire cast is good, um, but my my wife um, recently is the one who made the connection because she's been watching The Sinner uh, uh-huh. on Netflix, uh, which is a Bill Pullman show that is very good. Uh, first, I only watched the first season. I haven't watched it anymore. She's she blew through the entire thing. Totally on her own. She's like, I love, I love, I love the show. Um, but she realized that the one who played Rhett, the younger son in the show who wants to be the the uh, rodeo star, that is Bill Pullman's son. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. I knew his last name was Pullman, but I guess my stupid brain was like, oh, Pullman, that's an interesting name. I guess I've never heard anybody else with that name. But yeah, like it's Bill Pullman's kid. He was also in Top Gun Maverick this year. Um, so he had a, he had a good year. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's great. And now that I see that he's Bill Pullman's kid, I'm like, holy shit, he's totally Bill Pullman's kid. He like has Bill Pullman's nose. Yeah. Exactly. Like exactly. Um, but anyway, so yeah, great. Uh, great cast. Great all the way through. Totally loved it and cannot wait for a season two. Uh, oh, also will just will Patton. Like they just threw will Patton in there. Just like, oh yeah, we've got this stacked cast full of like amazing actors. And then we'll just have will Patton in here too. Just because we can it's like jesus i love will Patton, by the way yeah will Patton did the audiobooks for the uh mr mercedes trilogy the stephen king books oh that's kind of perfect what an experience so good he's great anyway yes uh so yeah outer range don't want to say much about it because again it's a show that is about some very very specific reveals paced out with a very specific understanding of how the show is structured. So I don't really want to get into it, but rest assured that if you dig weird West, if you're just kind of a sci-fi person and yet you, you also sort of want this like 
people in fields on horses milieu, this show has all of that and it's excellent. All right. So I guess we'll, we'll move on. Um, the other one on, on Amazon prime that I wanted to briefly discuss, uh, because this was the year that I caught up with the boys. Um, I didn't catch up. I just watched season three. Okay. But I I feel like I'm caught up enough. You're probably good, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the the show kind of circles around the same ideas and concepts pretty frequently. I don't going back and watch them might add some nuance and certainly some moments, but I don't know if you would have to. Um, So I I had watched the first few episodes of the boys. I want to say half the first season and, and I liked it. Don't get me wrong. Like I know the boys is a very specific thing. I recognized immediately that the reason why I was probably never going to be able to engage with the fandom of the boys is that I knew that far too many people in that fandom would not get that Homelander is bad. And that bothered me (laughs) because I was like, oh no, this is too nuanced, even though this is not a nuanced show but I knew that there would be way too many people that were like, well, Homelander's great. He's a real hero. And it's like, <clears throat> no, uh, the show is obviously not saying that. See, and, Homelander and, is my favorite character on the show because oh, yeah. he's so fucking evil. He's evil. <laughs> like he is evil Superman. Like that is the point. Um, and so when season three occurred this year and everybody was like, oh, oh why are they making Homelander evil? I just kind of went like, what? Like there was legitimate dialogue online on Twitter of people being like, they turned Homelander into a terrible simp. And it's like, what are you talking about? He drinks breast milk. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, it's just, it, it really bothered me and I knew it would bother me. So I watched the first, you know, half of the first season and, and enjoyed it well enough. Didn't really follow through with it. The gore is a bit excessive, even for me. Like, gore doesn't bother me, but there's a certain point where I'm like, just come on. I know it's your thing. It's part of what you're doing to set yourself apart. But, like, Jesus. God. Uh, So, anyway. uh, So, I finally watched all of it. I just went all the way through it. And, And then, of course, season three was kind of happening. I think there were maybe two episodes left of season three when I got to them. And, you know, I I love it. I do. I think it's it's one of the best superhero things ever made because it is it is adequately trying to deal with more than likely what superheroes would be if they existed for real. And I appreciate media that tries to do that. Marvel, DC, you know, your big your big hitters in the superhero world, they just hand wave that stuff. They're like, we just don't want to talk about that. Like, don't worry. Superman would never rob a bank. Just don't. He wouldn't. He's a good dude. And so I like that this show is dealing hard with that. I, I really love Carl Urban. I think he's a great person to hang this kind of show on. I like that the third season sort of made him waffle a bit on some of his convictions, and, and that was kind of cool. Um, I really love Jack Quaid. I, I'm, I'm starting to have a sort of unreasonable affection for Jack Quaid, not unlike the unreasonable affection I had for his dad, if we're being honest. Um, but I, I, he's making really smart choices. He seems like a genuinely, like, good guy which i know shouldn't matter but kind of does and and i like what he's doing in the show i like that that his character continually sort of gets thrown out of his comfort zone and has to like do stupid things and and 
wrong things uh, a lot. So uh, I, I've come around on the boys. I will definitely be watching season four when it drops. Um, I love Eric Kripke from all of his stuff. Really. I obviously love the X-Files foundational show for me. One of the most important things of my life. Um, definitely loved, loved supernatural up until right around the time that he stopped being actively involved in the show. That's about the time I tapped out as well. I don't know if that was, I I don't think I was aware of his tapping out. I think just the show degraded quickly and I was kind of less interested. And, and obviously this is, is another pretty Titanic achievement from Kripke and, uh, and a pretty solid and a good adaptation of a, of a, I'll be super honest, an inferior comic. Um, that's the other piece of this that I think is really good is that the comic books that this is based on are not good. Um, they're, they're generally pretty shitty. Uh, they're not bad, but it's Mark Miller, right? And Mark Miller mm. is not great. His ideas are good, but his execution of those ideas in comic book form are generally shit. And, and so like, I, I thought it was Garth Ennis. Um, oh, it is Garth Ennis. You're right. I'm conflating. It was, but, My but bad. it's the same sentiment. It, unfortunately, <laughs> yes, we can make, we can exchange. The assessment of the person doesn't change. <laughs> we can exchange both of those. Yeah, it is Garth Ennis. Uh, we can exchange those, um, and and I, my sentiments on them are basically the same. It's like Mark Miller and Garth Ennis both have great ideas, but their execution inside their comic books is generally pretty shoddy. Um, Garth Ennis gets Garth Ennis gets one excuse, and that's Preacher, because Preacher actually ends yeah. pretty well um, in the comics. Although the the middle, it, I would say from issue like thirty to forty of Preacher, it gets a little it's like okay, whatever you say, man. Uh, but yes, uh, that's so. That's that's my bad. Thank you for the correction. I would hate to put this out to the world and think that I didn't know that. Garth and get a comic book thing wrong. Oh God, they'll oh, come for you. Oh my God, they're coming for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like with Miller. I mean, I guess you could look at it like Wanted. You know, like yeah, his his comic Ugh. book that under like the movie itself is fine. Like it's a decent uh. action film, but the comic book Ugh. that it comes from is garbage. Like it Ugh. sucks. <laughs> it's so stupid. And, um, and, and the boys is kind of the same. A lot of the later issues of the boys, which they're getting into now, and there, there were some episodes in season three adapted directly from comic book arcs in, in the, in the comic, but they're adapting them better than the comic book was in my opinion. And that's good. That's what an adaptation allows you to do. You're able to look at pieces that work and say, we'll keep this pieces that don't We'll forget that those exist and we'll just move on. Um, season three of the show has Jensen Ackles. It do. And if you just want to have some really confusing gay feelings or confusing straight feelings, depending on who's listening, sure. doesn't really matter. Um, just take one look at him because that's just how it is. <laughs> I didn't. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize that Jensen Ackles needed a beard, but that worked. Oh, he do real good. Uh, yeah, that his the the entire Soldier Boy storyline in this I think was was pretty excellent, um, and it's it's nice to see Ackles and Kripke working together again, which you can tell they both enjoyed. So, yeah, so Boy Season Three, um, I I think it's it's fantastic superhero storytelling. Please, please understand that the superheroes in this are bad, and that Homelander is bad. Yeah, everyone sucks that, on this show, and, and that's that the, why it works. Right. The ideas that Homelander is espousing are bad, and they should not be the things that we do. 
Um, now that, but also the things that Carl Urban says are bad. He is also bad. Yeah, he like, is also bad. No one on this show is good. No one gets out. No one gets out unscathed, and that's what makes it interesting. Television is that it's it's not easy to break down into those simple good bad dynamics, and that's good because in in a world full of super powerful people, none of those questions would be simple anymore. Like they just wouldn't be. And I like that Kripke and his team are are trying desperately to reflect that in a way that that feels real. Um, but again, know what you're getting into. Uh, very violent, very sexual. Um, not that any of those things are bad, but this is not a show that you're going to watch with your kids, or at least <laughs> please, please don't. Like you really shouldn't. Um, so in any case, the the boys was my my other one that I wanted to mention. Um, as far as favorites, the last one that I'll mention here, and actually we should have list, listed this one under the Netflix section. My apologies. Is we did watch Wednesday. The uh, Tim Burton was involved. I question how much, but whatever. Uh, the the new take on the Adams family uh, that uh, started on Netflix uh, a few weeks ago, as of this recording, at least, and pleasantly surprised will be my reaction to that. Enjoyed it more than I expected to, by a large margin. Um, is it good? I don't know. It probably depends. No. On your tolerance of CW style teen programming, because that's what this felt most like. And that is because it's written by Miller and Gao or go. I don't know how to say his last name, uh, but it's the two guys that made Smallville are the ones that made this. And so it feels very much like a teen drama of the early CW era, right? The, the, the way back when. Not modern CW where everything's edgy and Archie, Veronica, fuck, and, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, not that CW. Uh, like, the fun, like, Dawson's Creek, woohoo, you know, like that kind of CW. Seventh Heaven. Right, you know, not quite that bad. But but it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a fun, it is a fun take on the Adams Family mythos, if you can call it that. I, th- I guess we can at this point. They've been around long enough. I guess. Um, Jenna Ortega as Wednesday is very good. She's not as good as Christina Ricci. I'm sorry. Like Christina Ricci just nailed that character in its nineties form so hard. Like, I mean, to the point that she's still known for it and she's like in her forties now (laughs) and people still just think of her as Wednesday. She is also in the show and she has a fun part to play. Um, again, it was surprising because it was better than way, way better than I expected it to be. The star of the show is actually thing. Um, so the, oh, I guess I'll give the setup here. Um, Wednesday gets kicked out of her regular human school and gets sent to a boarding school for non-regular kids, which they refer to as outcasts in the show, which I think is hilarious because who would just refer to themselves in a large group as being an outcast? I it's if it's intentional irony on the part of the writers, bravo, I get the feeling it probably wasn't. But like it's called the school for outcasts. And there are thousands of them altogether in this place. It's like playing loose and fast with the definition of outcast there. But so she gets sent to the school. It's the Nevermore school. So there's Poe references everywhere. And that's fine. And um, so it's a boarding school. So none of the rest of the family can be with her. So 
her parents, however, leave thing behind. Like they have a thing deployment in the bottom of their car that like drops him out in secret and he kind of takes off. And so it's really Wednesday and thing for the most of the season. And, and that actually works really well. Like the, the guy, you know, the, I mean, it's just a hand. You can't really do a lot with it, but he like does sign language and stuff in this one, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, but whatever. Uh, it's, it's a fun teen show. Uh, it's got a uh, game of Thrones lady in it. Um, Gwendolyn Christie plays the principal and she's lovely. Um, she, I saw an interview with her where she said that this was the first show that she'd ever worked on where the costumes made her feel beautiful. And I was like, Oh, that's sad. That makes me feel bad. Like, no, but no, nobody should feel like their career hasn't allowed them to be, you know, attractive. But I guess if you think about what Gwendolyn Christie's done, Game of Thrones, she's like covered in shit all the time. And then Captain Phasma in The Force Awakens, she's in a big shiny helmet. So I guess I guess I get it. But um, she looked like Tippi Hedren in this. It looked like somebody just took a picture of Tippi Hedren from the press tour for the birds. And then they just did that with her. And she looks beautiful. She's a lovely woman. Um, so anyway, uh, it's just a, a clever show, some interesting twists, some nice writing. If you're you know, down with what the teens do, talking about the TikToks, etc., And uh, an interesting little show about this strange town that Nevermore is, is situated amongst. And it's uh, there's there's some pilgrims that were there at one point. Apparently there were some witch burnings, you know, all the all the stuff that you might expect. Uh, so a fun little show. If you have a tween in the house, especially one that tends towards the goth, probably be okay. Supposedly Tim Burton directed three episodes of it, maybe four. I couldn't tell. I mean, I, I just, I think Tim Burton just does not give any shits anymore. I think he is just done, but there was nothing Tim Burton-y about the Tim, the episodes that were supposedly directed by him. Not to me anyway. I mean, a couple of Dutch angles maybe, but whatever. So uh, if you have Netflix, it's it's a fine watch. That's all I'll really say about it, but it was okay. Um, All right. Uh, The only other one that I had, and I guess we can talk about HBO Max shows, but I I have a couple. um, Severance. uh, Oh, yes. No, we can't forget about that. Apple TV Plus, the... the (laughs) The one in the in the wilderness that no one has <laughs> people all the time. Do you have Apple TV Plus? What's that? No. Uh, it's what? Apple's. It's Apple's TV service. They have one of those. Yeah, I just I have it boxed out on the list. I'm like, I don't even know when to bring it up. Yeah. We've been, um, we've had all these been... other shows, but you should watch Severance. However, yeah. you can possibly watch it. Yeah. No, I, I did have it on my list as well, but but yes, uh, we should talk about Severance. I just had it kind of buried in the middle, and I went over it. Uh, yes, Severance is the best show of 2022 without mm-hmm. any, even as much as I loved Andor, I have to, to give it to the fact that Severance is a better show than Andor. Um, but they're close. Oh, they're so close. Well, it's more universally appealing. I think, I think yes, more you, types mm. of people can like Severance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Severance, even though it is just as hard a sci-fi concept, if not harder than Star Wars, um, it is more universally engaging given its its overall premise and production. Uh, Severance is so freaking cool. Um, my my partner is not a not a binge watcher. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's a one episode at a time kind of like person. And we crushed that show in like three days. <laughs> I believe he was it, like, man. Let you, we, let's watch another one. 
like we'd finish an episode and he'd be like, let's get a snack and then let's watch another one. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, yeah, so that sounds great. We um, watched week to week and it was hell. Yeah. It was hell having to wait week to week for that show. My God. I couldn't have done it. And I'm glad that I didn't. I'm yes, glad that be, I just waited and watched. Be thankful it. to the God. Be thankful to the, our Lord and Savior Tim Cook that you didn't have to, because uh, it was torture. Like it was um, during that the, the time that that show was airing. It it was probably seventy percent of the conversations that I had with my partner. I were like, I had about trouble this on Severance. I had trouble like stepping away from it to go to bed. I was like, yeah. I just want to know everything that happens. I have to know. Um. So yeah, I'm I am struggling waiting for season two. Yeah, I mean, again, I guess we want to hit the premise real quick. Severance is about a group of people who work in an office for a large corporation. That when you arrive at the office and pass through a series of specified gates, it you've undergone a procedure that then switches you into a work mode, and it's an entirely different person than you. That is set up. And, and designed to work in this space. And then when you leave, you go back to your other self. And so it explores all kinds of issues with identity and personality and, and control and work you know, just life balance. Wor- it is, it is a, a <laughs> true expression of the concept of work life balance, which in the year of our Lord 2022, my God, what a discussion that we need to absolutely have. So um, just really good uh, acted, Across the board, I mean, again, just an incredible cast. The cast that we're getting on these television series now is is just exceptional. You know, we've got Adam Scott, John Turturro, um, Christopher Walken, uh, you know, several newcomers, um, you know, in the cast as well. You know, people that have had smaller roles but have uh, huge roles to play in this. Patricia Arquette is, is floating around this thing. Like, just a, a absolute incredible television series pay for a month of Apple TV plus you've already got an iPhone. We know you do stop pretending that you're using a cheap Android phone. We know you're not. I mean, I, that's what I use, but whatever. Um, get a, get a month of Apple TV, binge the whole thing and then wait for season two. Like the rest of us just do it. Yeah. Like maybe watch Ted Lasso at the same time. If you got the time, cause it's also really good, but severance is, is, is great. Yes. Unequivocal recommendation. Uh, so anything else on Apple TV plus that you're a big fan of? I, you know, I wasn't even aware that there was anything else on Apple TV Plus. Probably isn't. I mean, they put stuff out, but no one cares. Uh, that's kind of the irony that the best show on television is on a service that literally no one watches. But yeah, maybe they'll get there eventually. Oh, oh. Uh, so jumping over to HBO Max, just a couple to mention here. Um, one, even though it started in 2021, it started in December of 2021. It ran through January of 22. So I'm going to conclude it. Uh, and that is Station Eleven on HBO max. That uh, is still on my list to watch. Holy shit balls. What a great show. Um, again, another one that I was able to watch with my partner kind of all the way through week to week as it came out. Beautiful haunting. All of it. It's, it's a story told in a pre-apocalypse, a, a happening apocalypse and a post-apocalypse in equal measure uh, involving deep character work, a incredible Mackenzie Davis at the center of it. My God, I love Mackenzie Davis. She's so good. I may have even recommended this the last time we did this because it was probably airing at the same time, but the show's over now. It completed. It's brilliant. It's beautiful all the way through. It's a standalone thing, 
there's no intention of making a season two. There's no reason to make a season two. So you can just watch it and, and love it and be done with it when it's over, which is great. But station 11, please watch it before some dipshit at HBO max decides to take it off the service because they're idiots. Cause they're doing that with shows now. Apparently my God, Warner discovery. Um, but whatever, uh, go watch it. It's great. Uh, unequivocal recommendation. There's really nothing about it. David Cross is in there. Uh, Lori Petty. God, who doesn't love seeing Lori Petty and shit? I mean, it's tank girl. It's tank girl. And she's <laughs> in it. Just go watch it. It's good. Um, uh, yes. Station 11. Great. Brilliant story. Wonderfully told, masterfully paced, great from top to bottom. So, so good. Um, it's also worth mentioning the rehearsal. Um, I'll admit that I was late to the Nathan Fielder train. I, I saw smatterings of uh, Nathan for you when it came out. I knew that he was sort of in the same, that that he was in the Heidecker verse right? Like Tim Heidecker and, and Eric Warheim had been sort of involved in early career, but his show on HBO max, the rehearsal is one of the most at, at both unhinged and incredible things that I've ever watched. Have you watched any of this? Did you watch this at all? I have watched a little bit of it. Yeah. Um, the depths of madness that that show descends to <laughs> while also ostensibly being a comedy show is unbelievable and instead becomes this incredible treatise on human connection and social anxiety and internal struggle that I think I have ever seen. It starts as a show with Nathan Fielder setting up scenarios so that people can test out situations in their lives to rehearse them so that when they execute them for real, they're able to do better at it, right? It's, it's a social mm -hmm. experiment. And by the end of it, it is a show about Nathan Fielder. It's amazing. Like it's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. It's cringeworthy as hell. Like you will fit your whole body will cringe at elements in this show. Like you're, you will physically recoil in terror at some of the things that happen in this show. And you'll be absolutely enraptured at it because of it. It's, it's great. Um, I'm, I, I hope desperately that again, our new lords and masters at Warner brothers discovery. Don't cancel it to save 50 bucks on their tax returns next year. But I, I hope he gets to continue doing it because it is truly, if he doesn't, what we got is complete. It's, it's finished, but I think the depths that he could go to, to uncover these weird corners of human existence is is basically unlimited and i hope he gets the chance it's it's something it is something uh so definitely worth finishing there absolutely um the other one i would mention just very briefly because it's just another superhero thing well it was more than that but is peacemaker um obviously james gunn is now fully in control of dc studios 
and and kicking over tables apparently while he's doing it. Um, but what got him that job was my I believe Peacemaker because Peacemaker is it's a perfect expression of how James Gunn views superheroes, which are big dumb idiots that happen to do the right thing occasionally when things go their way. Um, which I think is good. I think that's a good take on superheroes. I like that's actually like a solid way to write them. Um, but yet they have heart and they want to do the right thing. Their motivations for doing it and how they do it mostly wrong, but they're like, they've got good hearts, right? That's sort of like James Gunn's take on superheroes and peacemaker is almost a perfect expression of that. Um, John Cena is great. Um, I never thought I would ever watch something with John Cena and be like, Oh, that was really good. Peacemaker was great. John Cena was great. The supporting cast in that show was great. Steve Agee. Great. Um, I I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to express how Peacemaker works. Robert Patrick is in Peacemaker. He plays Peacemaker's dad. And I love Robert Patrick. I mean, he's, he's the T-1000. So like, it's required that I love him. That's part of that's, I mean, I think I signed a contract back when I saw that movie that I have to love him forever. Um, he gets some of the funniest lines in that show (laughs) and, uh, and he's great. He's great. Um, so peacemaker was wonderful. And if that is, I don't, obviously that's not going to work for every character in the DC universe, obviously like it's a very specific take on a very specific character. But if it's indicative of sort of like how James Gunn is going to approach some of the larger storytelling issues with DC, then I think it's probably good that he's starting over and going to just sort of kick us off because God damn it, Zack Snyder, you just, you fucked everything up. Like <laughs> you just, you yeah. fucked it all up. Um, I know you're, you're, you know, I know the, you know, popping the second collar on your polo shirt used to be cool, but you need to stop it. Stop it, Zack Snyder. Uh, and, and I don't blame Zack Snyder for all of it. They they gave him the reins. That was the problem. But I think it's good that they're going to kind of reset. And Peacemaker, while it's a very extreme show, it was written to do very specific things. I think it it expresses an understanding of how you tell good superhero stories. And, and I think James Gunn is going to do a good job with that. So Peacemaker was my kind of last overall recommendation. Again, I have to note my partner who's not generally into that kind of thing. She likes superhero stuff. Like, you know, I've, unfortunately I've broken her and I have made her like those things just because I don't let her not watch them. <laughs> but she genuinely loved Peacemaker. She was the one sitting on the couch saying, Hey, there's a new episode of Peacemaker. We need to watch it every week. And that to me says a lot because it wasn't motivated by, by me going like, Hey, there's this new superhero thing we should check out. She was invested in that world and those characters and what they were doing. And that to me is the sign of a good storytelling or a good storyteller is, is that you can hook somebody that just doesn't, that isn't signing up for this stuff because they're a fan of the stuff. Right. And that to me is really exciting. And so I'm excited for Peacemaker season two. We know it's coming in some form or fashion. Maybe it'll get changed because you know, of guns new role, but, um, even as it stands, Peacemaker is a great season of television and a lot of fun. Like it's, it's a hilarious show It is legitimately funny. 
in how it approaches it. And it's good. I, I enjoyed it. So that was kind of my last recommendation from uh, the the HBO Maxiverse, if you want to call it. I don't know what the, they don't call it anything. Uh, did you have anything else on HBO Max that you watched or any other shows that you want to discuss? We don't have to be limited. We've kind of moved through the major streaming services now. I forgot a Netflix show because, you know, easy Netflix to do big place. Easy to do. Um, yeah. I started watching Inside Job, the latest season of that. OK. And finished it. Um, it's an animated show and very, very much not. It's kind of what I was talking about before. Like this was clearly meant for adults. You know, it's very adult oriented jokes and humor. Um, but it's it's funny. It's uh, have you seen it? Uh, I've watched sure. the trailer. I watched the trailer for it. But that's it. It's great. It's um, all about the secret societies that run the entire world and how they're just big organizations that fight with each other constantly and deal <laughs> with all kinds of red tape and bureaucracy and like Ill the Illuminati is real, but they're just a bunch of like frat boys and <laughs> nice and bougie jerks. And uh, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's really, really good. And Adam Scott came up and he actually voices one of the characters in the second season. Oh, um, so that's that's what made me think of it. It was it's well worth your time. It's very funny. It's you know, if you don't think too hard, you just want something to watch while you relax. It's it's very very entertaining. The reason I came to be aware of it is that um Alex Hirsch mm -hmm. is one of the exec producers. It's one of the guys mm -hmm. that worked with him on Gravity Falls that's actually running the show, but Hirsch was was, you know, exec producing behind the scenes yeah. and I mean, we've talked. I mean, we've talked about Gravity Falls before. Gravity Falls is incredible. Like, it's one of the best animated shows ever. I've watched it through with my kids like two or three times now because they love it over and over again. It's such a great show. But yeah, anything that Alex Hirsch does, I'm going to pay attention to it. So that's where it came onto my radar, and it sounds like I just need to, I just need to watch it. So <laughs> I'll get into that. But that's cool. No, that's that's really good. Uh, all right. So any other shows that you want to mention? I think we've kind of come to the end of the list i think that's it for me um i guess an honorable mention that i'll throw in here but it's a qualified recommendation uh, it's also on paramount plus uh is the halo show and we talked about this a little bit while it was going on i know we had a couple of conversations just you know pre-show chatting and stuff um it people do not like this show <laughs> Halo fans don't like the Halo show, which I think is interesting. Apparently it did very well. Like they've, they've greenlit season two. It's happening, whatever. Um, I kind of liked it. Um, I, I know a lot about Halo. Like I've read books, like a lot, most of the books because I like the universe. Eric Nyland wrote most of the original Halo books and he's a great sci-fi writer. So it made sense. They'd be good. Um, I really liked the Halo show. Not all of it. Some of it was dumb for sure. But a lot of it was good, and I liked its take on things. Um, so I, I, so I'll recommend it, I guess, but qualified and say like, if you just like weird sci-fi stuff, I wouldn't go into it as a Halo fan expecting to see like. I mean, you'll see Master Chief do some cool stuff. You definitely will. But I, if you if you like really care deeply about the lore of the Halo games, 
this probably is it for you because they're definitely not doing that. But I, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I, like I would just watch it week to week and I was like, this is cool. It's neat. It's fun to see these characters do stuff. Uh, you know, guy in a big mechanic mechanic suit punching people. It's pretty cool. And, and it's, and it's telling a story about like conspiracy and, you know, government overreach and all that kind of stuff. The stuff that the games deal with too. But, uh, but yeah, if you're, you know, wanting something sci-fi and a little bit actiony, Halo's pretty solid. There's definitely some parts you could speed through, sure, but um, I I enjoyed it. Probably only, true of the games. <laughs> uh, it's it definitely true of the games, especially the Halo Four and Five. Jesus, oh my God, those games. Um, then then the last one I'll mention just as a fun recommendation is the U.S. version of Ghosts. Now I am oftentimes that guy that's like, uh, it was a BBC show, BBC show first, and the BBC show is superior. Uh, like. Thank you. Like I am, I am often that guy in this particular case. And I can be very wrong here because I, but I've watched both and I like the U S one better, which is, is probably the wrong position to hold. I understand this. I'm aware of it, but it's just a really good sitcom. It's just a good one of those. It's nicely written. The episodes are structured well. It's a very good cast. Rose McIver from iZombie and those Christmas Prince movies is the lead, along with um, one of the guys from Free Guy. Uh, I, I can't remember his, his name off the top of my head. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's just it's a fun sitcom. The BBC show is also very good. It's great. Like I like it. It has um, Simon Farnaby and and, you know, mighty boosh guys you know it's like it's it's that legacy of british comedy that i love it's it's the garth Marenghi dudes like it's good but the u.s one is the closest analog i can come to is that the u.s one is is like a modern scrubs early scrubs not later scrubs Mm. that sucked because what made scrubs good was its ability to be both engaging and funny and then like almost on a dime, it could grab you emotionally. It would just like something would happen and a character would have a significant revelation or Dr. Cox would give a speech that would just tear them down and then have to build them back up where you, you know, it's the Brendan Fraser episodes of scrubs yeah. where it's like, hi, 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 hi. Oh God. Right. And this show does that too. And does it really well. and, and I, I just, we my whole family loves it. We get excited every week that there's a new episode. It's, it's, it's really good. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, and it's, it's got a lot of, they changed a lot of the characters from the British version that wouldn't have worked. Cause like there was like a prime minister or not prime minister, but like a, like a guy who would work in the house of commons who had died and they swapped, they swapped him for like a wall street finance bro from the nineties. Cause that's, you know, that's, you would find that in American. There was like a British general in the BBC one in this one. He's a revolutionary era soldier who died on the property. And so he's there. There's a 19 an 1880s robber baron lady who used to run the estate. You know, like there's a native American who died on the property when he was, you know, in like the 1400s or something. There's a Viking who died on the property who was there exploring. And it's just the, the mix is good. Some of the characters are direct, you know, directly brought over 
some of them are fresh, but uh, I like it. It's fun. It's light. It's breezy. Gets a lot of good, a lot of the giggles. Gets a good giggle most of the time. So uh, just enjoying that quite a bit too. So that's probably my last TV recommendation. I'm sure there was other stuff. This was a big year for TV, but those were certainly the ones that stand out in my mind as a, as a sort of wrap up. So anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? I think that's it for me. All right. Well, uh, dear listeners, thank you for hanging out with us while we went through some of our favorite TV shows of the year as part of this. Um, I don't know, my favorite things episode sans Oprah and Pontiac G sixes. Um, but we uh, wanted to share some some positives, some good things. We don't always talk about great stuff on this show, but our goal is to surface stuff that uh, you know you should definitely pay attention to. It's worth your time. And uh, so these are our TV recommendations. So if anybody wants to find you on social media to share their thoughts about some of the best of 2022, where can they find you? Um, you can find me all over the internet on all social media, even the weird ones. Uh, but Nice. I guess for now you can find me on Twitter with everyone else uh, at Baskinator. Nice. Where I talk a lot about TV. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, and you can get me at T Baskin, uh, where I also am still on Twitter, at least for now. <laughs> for now. Um, we'll see how things go. Um, but uh, on Twitter and uh, and happy to to chat. If you want to get us together, you can get us at FPS Theater or you can email us at failurepeace at gmail.com. Uh, so we will be back in the very near future to talk about our favorite things, but the movie edition, some of our favorite films from the year that uh, we enjoyed, we watched multiple times, uh, or just sort of crossed paths with and didn't hate. We'll see. Uh, all right, so we'll be back. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.